0: Hey everyone, welcome to episode number fifty of the Lift Free and Diet Hard podcast. Uh, I'm your host Andrew Coates, and it's actually episode number two hundred of the overall stream of podcasting. I just happened to rebrand it fifty episodes ago. So, but I've got uh, Austin Current here to celebrate uh, fifty new episodes. So it's great to have you on, brother. Hey man, thanks for having me on. I got to guess, I guess I got to introduce you a little bit. And I've kind of been working on getting a bunch of new guests, people who haven't been on the, you know, this podcast or the previous incarnation, because it, sometimes it feels like I'm going through some of the same people and they're awesome, but I managed to get you. I've got Danny Lennon coming up as long as everything works out well. And I was digging into, well, this happened because um, the science of strength training, this little yellow fucking awesome book popped up on my radar a while back. So I started digging into it and you and I connected over the internet. It's a really cool book. So That spurred this. I know uh, you are on my friend Chris Little's podcast recently, Lifestyle Chase. I guess you've been on it a bunch of times. So it's like, all right, that's a reminder. I've actually got to move this up and get you on here. Now, I was digging into your history a little bit. Some of the stuff I didn't know about you. Well, you're the co-founder and co-owner of Physique Development. That's your online coaching business. And I did not know that you were the second youngest person to win an IFBB Pro Card. Yeah, in the Physique division. Yeah, specifically Physique.
1: Yeah, no, it's... That was a, yeah, it all happened really quick. Um, I just turned 20 at the time. And uh, the, the other, the only other person I think was Jeff Seed who got it <laughs> sooner, which is so funny. You guys went in um,
0: opposite directions in terms of like quality evidence-based training information.
1: Uh, oh, yeah, man. And again, like, I think it's more of an attest to like how I found myself competing um, and it's influence it's played in my career and, you know, it, I don't really compete any longer. The last show I did was, in, it was, a my last pro show I did was in 2016. So, you know, uh, I've gotten married since then I've lived, you know, in a couple of different countries since then, you know, it just a little bit more professionally focused and less competing focused currently. Um, but yeah, it, it's. It all happened really quick. It kind of started, and then it progressed, and then it was like, "Oh, okay, here we are." So
0: that's about how it went. And you tacked on a bachelor of exercise science on top of all that. So I guess, mm-hmm. and that's led into a lot of educational stuff uh, through the industry, which leads me to one of the basic questions I had: is was the the interest and passion in you know fitness competitions? only to spawn a greater interest in the educational side of stuff that went off in that direction? Or was the interest always in the educational coaching side, and it just happened to also be that you were a competitor who did it concurrently, and then kind of said, okay, I've done this, now I wanna focus on the coaching. Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, so I started competing,
1: so I, I started competing my second year of university. And so I had gotten into university, kind of went through my first year, Uh, I was in exercise science already. And I think when I started, well, when I started competing, I I was talked into competing really. And it wasn't really something that I wanted to do at the time. And I wasn't really interested in, I'd I'd never heard of it before. And um, the people at my gym had competed uh, before and uh, a close friend, Alicia, she had competed in figure for a couple of years leading up to that point. And so she, this was back in 2013. So she was like, Hey, you know, this new men's physique division just came out. Maybe you should try it out. I think you'll, you'll enjoy it. I think you have, a, you have a good physique for it. I think you should try it. And I was like, okay, um, no, you know, but thanks for thinking of me. And, uh, you know, she kept on it and I kept looking into it more. And, and, you know, I was inspired by, you know, the Steve cooks, of the world at that point. And, um, and I think, so I started competing. I did well in my first show, my first couple shows, things like that, which kind of got me more interested into it, obviously, if you're good at something. Um, and I had kind of lost that competitiveness through athletics, through injuries and just deciding not to, to pursue anything else moving forward. And so I was kind of yearning for something competitive. And so this, ca- this kept me going. This kind of was this competitive thing that I didn't quite understand. And You know, I I do like physical challenge. And so it was like, all right, you know, sign me up. I gave myself six weeks to prep. I ended up winning, I think, three of the divisions in that show. And I was like, oh, all right, I guess I'll do this. You know, I'll see this through. And so I did it for the next, you know, few years. And that allowed me to finish out my degree. And I think the relationship between the two of them, was I started to compete, which then really allowed me to see in real time things that I was learning in the classroom and gave me a little bit more hands-on application. Because I just also during that time, I started to train clients in person. And then, you know, after a year and a half of that, and after I earned my pro card, I was like, okay, well, maybe I'll start to take clients online because I was starting to get requests for it. And So I, you know, we, that's kind of the inception of physique development at that time, back in 2014. And so I think they played hand in hand with each other really well. And the competing got me just more interested in my degree and then vice versa. So, um, I was really putting a lot of things into practice that I was using through my competing, through, through things like that, through coaching other people. Um, but yeah, you know, I don't think I would have been. I don't know if I'd have been as good at either or either of them would have went as well as they did without each other. Like I think they had some sort of like intimate balance between the two of them and they 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 shared sort of a delicate relationship
0: you know in the early stages of my career. You don't lean all that heavily on the the physique competitive past at least mm-hmm. not with your public image as an educator. Yeah, I decided
1: so Um, it was back in 2017. Um, I made a post back in that time when I was really fighting with, I grew my social media originally and like got a lot of my business through the way I looked and it was becoming increasingly more important to me that I was more valued for my intellect and my ability to explain things really well and and to be a good coach and, more or less from my mind more so than just my physique. And I didn't want that. You know, I am someone who always wants to stay in shape and look good and, you know, be strong and whatever else, um, just for my own personal things and knowing the benefits of it. Right. We talked, you know, off air a lot about that. Um, but yeah, I I made a post back in that, in that time in 2017, kind of like, essentially why you won't be seeing my physique moving forward. And I've really stuck with that over the last, you know, since then. Um, and I don't post my physique. I, I don't, you know, what, what you see of my physique is through my training videos, right? If you're interested, like, all right, see it through that, you know. Um, but I'm, I've kind of moved away from that. And, and the sole purpose was I didn't want that pressure of the way I looked to dictate my career and to dictate if I was quote unquote relevant or whatever we use these days in terminology on social media. Um, and I, I saw it more or less becoming a negative trait of fitness in my life rather than a positive one. So um, I kind of made that executive decision then to kind of like pull the plug on my physique and just go with trying to prove myself more with my mind more so than anything
0: else. And a bunch of stuff that this leads to. One of them. I had uh, this conversation with um, one of the coaches I mentor. His name's Levi Tate. He's a young men's physique guy, really passionate, evidence-based uh, young man. <clears throat> and what? And my buddy Mike uh, Gettier has also said the same thing. You built a following based on your physique, as you said. <clears throat> when you came to try to turn around and share evidence-based informational content, did you find that at first? the visual imagery was more popular, got more likes, got more interaction, because that's the following base that you built. And how was the experience of shifting over and the emotional fight to potentially go back to some of the stuff that had been more popular? My media, so I did, I'll, I'll preface this and I'll let you just dive into it. I mean, I've never competed, no competitive history. I'm a big guy. And my old profile photo and a lot of the stuff is like striated del, big delta, big dude in like a tank top. And then I had some photos done where it's like much more mainstream accessible, I suppose. So I stepped away from that image. So, and I did that kind of deliberately to be a bit more accessible broadly uh, as my career has gone on as a coach. So back to you, how did you manage, and how would you tell a coach? to manage the allure of feeding the old following and the way that people interacted with you and maybe even something about the process of transitioning over and what that does to the old following versus attracting new following. Yeah. And so,
1: you know, I did it at a time too, where I had already started to, i had already started to kind of transition away from it. Um, And I was starting to gain a lot of traction and, and more or less build my social media to more or less what it is today or really it used to be a lot more involved I, I used to get a lot more engagement i used to you know the the era of 2017 2018 instagram was more skewed toward my being in favor of my style and, and being found and growing and stuff like that it's you know i've become increasingly harder and harder to to navigate the space and i know you talk a lot about navigating the space now um but i i in your question, I, I, or to answer your question, you know, I had already kind of started to do it and I was leaning more with, um, you know, video-based execution-based technique-based content. And I was approaching it where, you know, I'd seen a lot of people do technique-based content more from like a, a strength or powerlifting background place. And, I come from more of the, the personal training, body composition, bodybuilding, physique world, and so I was like, well, let me just take kind of what they're doing, and I'll mold it to what I know, which is like your everyday movements in the gym, like you know, and, and every day that I'd go to the gym was content for me because I went I, at the time I was living in Australia, and I went to an Anytime Fitness over there, and every time I walked in, it was just like a goldmine of information or goldmine of, of content coming to my mind. Cause I was like, as soon as I walk in, I'm not like a outwardly judgmental person, but like, you can't help, but look at someone and be like, well, they're, they're doing that wrong. They're doing that wrong. And so I would just take note and make, you know, notes on my phone of like, all right, lap, pull down. These are the mistakes I'm seeing. Here's what I can tell people, you know, here's what I could post about. And I just kept, I do that for every, essentially every movement, every machine that I could possibly do it for. And I started to kind of build things from there and people enjoyed it. You know, it was, it was, had a level of entertainment to it. Um, But I think where things really kind of like set in a little bit more was the fact that the captions sort of backed it up. It wasn't just the visual meme. It was, oh, this, if you actually read this, this dude actually knows he makes great points. He knows what he's talking about, you know, insofar that my, my workouts are getting better. I'm noticing less injuries. I'm, I'm feeling more tension on the, the desired muscle groups that I'm trying to train. And, you know, which obviously creates more of like a, a channel of, of engagement and a channel of of people sharing your content more and telling the friends about it and and whatever else. And so that kind of allowed me to noticing that that was kind of allowing me to move the needle in the direction I wanted to move it in. It allowed me sort of the, you know, there may be a better word for this, kind of the, the professional courage to transition out of being more aesthetically physique-driven um, and moving away from bodybuilding and physique-based stuff. And, and like yourself, like I, and you know, really how my book is written, is more towards the general population, trying to create less friction to the level of entry to fitness and to strength training. And, you know, if I can break down some barriers and make things a little bit more approachable and understandable, I want to do that. And it's really hard, you know, and another thing that I really try and do, um, through my, my technique based videos and and especially YouTube driven content, and I've gotten a lot of positive feedback from the, you know, from the comment section as far as uh, this goes, but it's sort of, people are kind of relieved that someone who has information that is valuable to them, one, doesn't yell at them and two, keeps their shirt on, Um, you know? And so I wanted to be more of that approachable, encouraging, non-condescending voice that is more of a positive light to good information more so than just someone who's screaming with their shirt off and being condescending and making fun of you because you don't know and scaring you out
0: of asking good questions and and things like that. So big pet peeve of mine, that kind of behavior. I'm just, just being an arrogant ass to followers. If someone's not agreeing with what you're saying or posing questions, they're being, you know, just, just nasty. And I know that there are people in the industry who branded themselves that way, right? Some really these people, but I don't think it's a good road for an emerging coach to follow. Even if somebody had some success with it, they may not have had success because of it. And I won't say any names. I can think of several people, if anything, they may have hurt their overall trajectory and they may be successful in spite of that kind of behavior. So I always like the high road, try to be, you know, you get some really nasty, disingenuous stuff occasionally in comments. If that's someone's game, they're blocked. I mean, I don't even entertain that nonsense. Uh, Otherwise, if it's something that's, you know, contrarian, but not ill intended, then, okay, cool. You can engage with them, treat them with respect. How all your other followers, especially the people who never engage, never comment, they'll notice this stuff and how they see you treat other people. Goes a long way to their opinion of you, not the person you're sparring with. Right. No, I agree. I, I love how you said that. And again, I'm
1: I'm all for the the contrarian who who shows up in the comment section. I'm all for uh, productive discourse. I'm all for it. And the more we can have that, the the better it can and, and the easier it gets. Right. Like, as you know, I, I know you're a, a writer for multiple websites and publications, and You know, as you write and as you learn, right, you've published information that you probably look back on and you're like, Oh, I probably would change the way I say that. Or, you know, someone read one of my articles and they're like, Hey, you know, in in an article a couple of years back, you said this, you know, but you're not, you're not teaching that information anymore, or this is different in your video. Why is that? Or, you know, I, I read this online from this person and I I, you know, I love them. They're, you know, they're my guru. And why, you know, you're telling me not to do that. And then You know, are you attacking them? You know, or are you attacking me? And it's funny because, and the answers to those questions are obviously no. And in you know, I have concrete examples of how you can change the tone of discourse almost instantly on social media through comments. Like I have, I mean, my content back in twenty seventeen, like obviously, as I mentioned earlier, garnered a lot more attention, and it was it was really created to garner more attention and grow my social media channel is now I'm not as focused on that as much as just sort of nurturing what I kind of have as a community and just saying like, what do you guys actually need rather than like trying to always find new people to follow me, right? Because like, I don't, I'm not in a position where I technically like need that or desire that as much as I'd much rather just answer the questions that are kind of burning within the people who already follow me um, and then if there's new people, fantastic. Um, but back in 2017, like, you know, let's say there was, you know, 300, 400 comments on a an execution post of mine telling people how to do a dumbbell row or a bench press. I mean, I'd get literal, like, go die, dude. Like, I'd get private DMs, like, telling me to, like, I should get all certifications revoked, wishing ill and- ill and ill harm on my family. Like it was a nasty environment. And all because I was saying like, Hey, maybe you should stop doing this a little bit, or maybe you should stop doing this and do a little bit more of this when doing a, let's say dumbbell row to keep with our example. And, you know, I've concrete examples. I've screenshotted them. I, I've made them a part of multiple presentations I've done over the years. Um, speaking on how to, how to be good, how to be a good communicator. And a good educator or good just a a valuable resource for people and you know i i could de-escalate a a comment section or a comment thread very easily from the standpoint of the initial attack and just asking a simple question and like being being actually are actually being interested in that person where i read their comment i took into consideration like okay I can kind of see what you mean here. I I kind of see where you would have learned this in the past. And all right, well, let's take it a step back here. And and let me ask you this, you know, have you thought about it in this way? And usually if you respond in a positive and and sort of a a kind manner that, that seems genuine and helpful towards that person, almost nine times out of 10, the response from them back was, oh man, I can't, you know, I didn't even think he'd respond. Like, thank you so much. You know, their total, their entire tone changed instantly. And it was like, that was nine times out of 10. And so, you know, I think it's more or less, again, how you respond to things. And um, one thing that I've just, it's stuck with me for, for a long time. I think I originally read this and like, heard this in like 2013, 2014. It's just stuck with me. But, you know, to paraphrase the quote, it's like, never allow someone else to dictate your actions or never allow someone else's nasty behavior, dictate your own. Um, and so like, if they're being a shithead or if they're being an asshole, that doesn't mean you should be an asshole. Like that's on them. Let them be like, let them show up how they want to show up. And you have every option to do the opposite. Like you have every option. No, one's forcing you into you all right, you've been nasty, now I'm going to be nasty, you know? And it's, there's not one part of, especially public discourse that needs to go that way. Especially when we're talking about fitness, dude, like, you know, there, there, there's no, uh, how's the, how's the thing go? There's no life or death situations within, within strength training. Like in terms of like, should I do a dumbbell curl like this or like this? It's like, dude, we can have a conversation but it's not life or death, man. You're not a not a worse off person because you, you were doing a bicep curl this way for so long. And now I'm telling you, maybe that's wrong. I'm not attacking you. I'm just informing you from my experience and my
0: education. That's it. I tend to almost avoid language like right and wrong. And especially yeah. with my individual clients, I'll show them something or they'll be like, oh, you know, they, they, they want to check up on some sort of form thing. Oh, I was totally doing it wrong. I'm like, no. And I always say, no, you weren't doing it wrong. It's just that we tweaked it to make it a little bit better for you. A little less yeah. likelihood you're going to get hurt or, you know, you'll get a slightly better reward profile for what we're doing. And it's almost a pet peeve of mine seeing posts. I mean, yeah, there's the green check mark and red X through stuff. And often enough, they'll be kind of exaggerated where it's like, okay, cool. Like this one way is bullshit and the other way is is right. Yeah. But but we're starting to see stuff that I look at like the X is right. It's functionally, fundamentally right. And it's someone who's branding around a certain way of approaching things. And it's just like, both of these are perfectly fine. And I'm looking at this crap going, we're calling things that are absolutely okay wrong. And that's where I kind of say, all right, this is bullshit. Like, this is not helping. This is confusing people. So, you know, I, I, I don't, I'm very, very I tread very lightly when I approach this. Word.
1: No, I think that's smart. I think language is very, very important. And it's something that I've tried. And, and again, like in me speaking, if I pause for any amount of time, it's because I'm probably searching for a better word to say over the one I was going to naturally say, right? I'm still really working on. Even in conversations like this, you know, to choose the right word for the job. And there's a reason I moved away from content like that. And now, you know, instead of like a red X, I would use, uh, I use like a caution sign. And I usually talk about, you know, if you go to some of my recent content or recent reels, if you're on my profile at all, there's gonna be a caution sign And then there's going to be like a, you know, a green check of like, we're removing the vulnerabilities of this exercise in the green check version. But in the the first one, instead of the red X, there's a caution sign because it's not technically wrong. As you're saying, you know, going too far down in an RDL isn't technically wrong. It's just vulnerable. You're creating opportunity for higher risk of injury. You're creating more vulnerabilities. And if you want to play that game, go for it, dude have at it but you don't have to and there's a lot of stimulus to gain from staying within a more appropriate range of motion and that's all we're trying to point out right and, and i'm really trying to and i know you have this goal too i'm trying to keep people keep people in the game and one of my biggest i, I was actually i posted a video on youtube in 2015 i may have in 20 uh, 2014 2015 i think 2015 that was titled live to train another day. And in that video, I was like, I injured myself um, deadlifting. And it's a funny thing to go back on because it's like one of my original vlogs, which is treacherous to go back and watch. But um, I laugh at myself going back and watching them. Um, But the message is like, still rings true of live to train another day and don't risk, something that you, doesn't need to be risked, especially if you're a general population. Like if you're not, if you're a non-athlete or like a non-competitive athlete, I'll say. And honestly, a lot of times, if, even if you are a competitive athlete, the only thing you, the only way you get better is if you stay in the game, is if you live to train another day, if you're able to stay consistent to that routine, right. And to that programming or to that periodization. And so yeah, uh, I think my main goal with my content nowadays is just obviously to educate the best I can, but also just to kind of keep people in the game a little bit longer because that's when we know most of these benefits from strength training come along. So,
0: and it's funny because agreed with everything you said there, and I can still find myself guilty of doing the shit that I post on social media about not doing. Right? Like, I'll give a great example. So, um, me and a buddy of mine. There's a pendulum squat here in Edmonton. We're all excited now because you can't find those damn things. I've heard that like they are barely any in Canada. I don't know if that's true or not. And I see Mike Gizertel messing with them all the time. And these short, thick, stocky guys can move a lot of weight, like my friend Alex, who's like way shorter than me, just this dense barrel yeah. with lot thick legs. <laughs> and there's another guy that we know, local. Um, he's a classic bodybuilder, uh a guy named Justin Huey. Dude has got great physique. And so Justin shows this video of him doing seven plates for a handful of reps on this pendulum squat. Now, if you've ever used a pendulum squat, seven <laughs> plates is a mega fuck ton. Yeah. So I've been doing like tough sets of four plates for reps. And this is like, this is mean shit. So me and Alex started goofing around with it a little bit. We're both there. And, you know, I slap five on and I get two reps with five plates. I'm like, this is tough. And I end up tweaking my right knee a little bit. It's fine. I just need to give it a week of light duty, right? But still, it's like, hey, you're kind of going off plan. Definitely a bit of like fucking around ego lifting. That being said, we're also trying to push the boundaries of what we can do. Didn't go according to plan. Alex does okay with the five. And then he gets one rep at the six. And we're just thinking, how in the hell did this guy do this with seven? So, you know, but again, it's totally being taken off course and guilty of doing the stuff that we're telling people I'm certainly telling people not to do as well. But those little reminders also serve just, hey, don't do that again. You got lucky, you didn't hurt yourself seriously. You don't stay on course. But, and I also don't mind challenging myself to new push boundaries every once in a while. But this one was a little bit off plan, which is why I'm kind of going, nah, shouldn't have done that.
1: Yeah, and again, like it's, it's not that you shouldn't have fun. and You shouldn't challenge yourself. And I think you should right? And there's times where it's like, I leave the gym and I kind of let myself take a set off or two or three or four. And I'm like, you know what? I made it to the gym today. I'm gonna let that one just be what it is. And then there's days where I'm virtually crawling out of the gym and I'm like, all right, that made up for the other session where I left four or five sets on the table. Um, and And I think there's a, you know, again, it's, it's sort of this auto-regulation of, of not only lifting, but life in general. Right. And I think often, like I look at, you know, I I think I've talked to many people like yourself about like sort of thinking of, of all things within the scope of periodization. Like, you know, you need phases and blocks where you're, you're driving intensity and volume and density of work. And then you need phases where you take off, you need deloads, you need, Mm -hmm. You need phases where you're just focusing on one thing over another, right? And that goes with anything within life or within your professional career, within your lifting career. Um, but again, I think there needs to be that that fun and that challenge within the means that you have available. And you know, if, if that's, all right, let's go off plan and, and let's try to load up this pendulum. Then, dude, have fun, just try not to get hurt. And if you're going to get hurt and you know, you can feel it coming, no one to stop. Right. And that's the hardest thing to do, especially with when you're with someone else or a couple other buddies who are super strong. Um, and that's, that's the hardest thing to do is kind of not allow that ego to become too inflated and kind of enter this sort of, well, it won't happen to me <laughs> sort of behavior. Cause it will, it
0: absolutely will, <laughs> you know? Very easily you can get away with this shit when you're in your 20s and early 30s probably yeah 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 i'm, I'm 43 so yeah, i'm not there yet so. so so i keep getting reminded especially in my early early 40s that i don't have as much wiggle room on some of this stuff as i did when i was younger now i still fr- feel pretty good most of the time and i think that's a product of being so consistent with the gym but there's some nagging stuff that doesn't go away as quickly or it never really kind of goes away anymore. So I, I have to modify my training. I've made modifications over the years. There's things that my left shoulder does not like a wide position. Um, dumbbell shoulder press doesn't like it. Narrow is No problem. Uh, doesn't like pull-ups anymore. Shut-ups are fine. Just there's something about being out in that fully abducted position. It's just not happy in in the in there. And there's some tightness and whatever. And I've had some physio done on it. It's helped improve it. It's never 100%. My right knee gets a little pissy with some stuff. So I have to be a little careful with it. But if I'm being smart and staying true to what I'm supposed to do, I'm fine.
1: Yeah. I mean, again, it lived to train another day. Know your limits. And challenge them when you can and challenge them when you, you feel motivated to, but also understand you it's, it's helpful to live, live within your means, right? Lift within your, lift within your means. It's, it's the same thing. Stay within budget, right? And you're going to be able to, to stay alive a bit longer and, and <laughs> thrive within that um, thrive within that atmosphere a little bit longer. And again, as it, it always returns back to that conversation of, of you gotta be, to reap the rewards and to reap the benefits of, of investing into your health, you gotta show up weekly. You gotta show up most days of the week in some way, shape or form. Doesn't mean you have to show up most days of the week to train, you know, it's good to probably have a couple of days a week that you train and really challenge yourself, but to keep showing up, right? Not being able to walk and stay active just because you were stupid in the gym, you know, that's silly. And that's gonna take a, a toll on your health, right? Um, and I was talking to, I think it was on the podcast with, with Chris was like, we sort of have this sense of entitlement with our health. That's like, oh, well I should just be healthy, you know, because it's like, uh, no, this is a daily fight, man. You got to think about it daily. You got to eat well, you got to train hard. You have to move around. You have to go to bed on time. Try not to drink too much of a very addictive drug, right? Like you got to do things that are levels, you know, at different levels of, un, of uncomfortable, but you have to, you have to continue to show up and, and invest into that daily effort of, of staying healthy and staying in the game. And that's how we remain healthy, right? Cause we don't, we're not guaranteed our health and we're not guaranteed or entitled to our health, in
0: my opinion. got a world now that's being engineered obviously it wasn't engineered to make us unhealthy it was engineered to make life convenient easier for us and it's had the unintended consequence of making us unhealthier have you read i think it's daniel lieberman's book exercised i did yeah i have yeah i love that book amazing and it's a really cool exploration of you know our historical background the, the lifestyle some of the misconceptions about he studied primitive tribes in Eastern Africa and other parts of the world, just to kind of get a sense of what their lifestyles were like, which would be the best proxy we have to, you know, our ancestors. And while they're certainly very active, they're not like going all day long every day. There's a lot of leisure and downtime, but by and large, they're, they're healthy and they stay healthier longer in life. And the, you know, the, the grandparents have different roles that, you know, you wouldn't expect and a lot of this stuff plays into a lot of the way that the energy demands from the things that we need to survive. were kind of in balance. We've shifted that balance out of convenience to the point where we now have to actively choose to do those uncomfortable things in order to maintain our health. People throw around this all the time. You know, obesity epidemic. Well, guess what? Obesity rates are rising, especially in the in the developed world. They're starting to rise more rapidly now in the developing world as they kind of catch up to the way that the US and Western Europe and, and Japan and other places are, although Japan, not really so high on the obesity scale. But side point, we absolutely actively need now to build in and choose exercise as a voluntary behavior. Part of that book is about how like, you know, primitive tribes they would kind of look at you and like you would voluntarily go and like go to the gym and exercise because they didn't need to it was already built into the stuff that they needed to do to hunt gather and and survive yeah and, and then again like they didn't have those
1: they didn't have the issue of too much right they didn't have an, an issue of excess you know by and large so that's another thing that you have to keep in mind too right like Okay. We have an issue with excess. We have a luxury of convenience. We have a luxury of, of calories that I don't have to move ever really beyond a hundred steps a day, maybe, or even less. And I can consume 10,000 calories a day if I really want it to, right. Cause you can order your groceries. You can, they're all in your pantry. You can eat, you know, a bag of almonds. You could eat a bag of M&Ms. You could eat whatever you want to do, throw in some milkshakes before you know it, you're four 4,000 calories in and you've yet to even finish episode three of American Horror Story. So, you know, it's, it's like, man, that's an actual, that's an actual problem. Right. And, and again, like, I'm not the one to be to, to answer that problem or to answer that question, but what I can do and what we can do is create content that does motivate people to, again, break down the barriers of, that, that entry level or big break down the barriers of entry to the fitness space, to strength training or to exercise as a whole. And I'm not necessarily, I, I'm biased for strength training because I do love strength training and it's played such a role in my life, a positive role in my life. But do your fitness, man. Whatever makes you happy, do it. Whatever makes you active and challenges yourself and, and programs in a level of discipline and, and
0: restraint within your life, do it. I'm all for it. The audio listeners I'm holding up Austin's book, Science and Strength Training, just trying to cue him here. So talk about creative content. I mean, you've literally written a book, you know, illustrated, really cool design. It's definitely part textbook and part, you know, coffee table reading for the enthusiast. I mean, it kind of blends both roles really well. How did that come to be? Especially given the fact that you were the, you know, men's physique guy turned educator. Because this is a serious piece of career capital. It's a concept I like. You know, the fact that you've written a book, you've got the IFBB Pro Card, that's a piece of career capital. It gives you a lot of credibility. So why the book? Yeah. Um, so I was approached for
1: the book, really. And it was very interesting how it came about. And again, it's sort of opportunity. Because I've tried to also ask myself that question. Why the book? How did it come about? Why were you asked to do these things? And what, what things can you repeatedly do and continue to show up to do to continue to get opportunities like this, right? Because when I had, I had multiple phone interviews with the publisher to, to sort of nail down the fact that I'd be the author of this book. So they, already, they had the concept in mind for the book and they basically brought the concept. They searched, more or less had the concept in mind. And they searched for an author, sort of randomly. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, I got to ask. I asked this on the phone to the publisher, pretty much during my interview. Why me, dude? Why did you, how did you find me? With all due respect, why me? You know, I, I, I'm, especially, if I don't think... <laughs> I think the book turned out really great. I do think ultimately I'm qualified to write the book and and I thought it turned out great. But all that aside, to the same tone, I don't think I should, you know, I'm asking the same question. Why am I the one to write this book? Why was I the one to do this project? Why was I the person to fill this sort of gap within the the space of strength training education? And I, I still can't really answer the question. But... They saw something in the way that I communicated and I, they liked the, the balance between writing that's just enough within the academic sphere, things that are referenced and from the scientific literature, but things that are written in a conversational approachable way that are easy to understand where, you know, if you read through this book, like there's no point in the book where I'm trying to like flex on any bit of intelligence. Like I've just, it's the, defi- like, it's just straight material. It's just straight content. It's not, if we, if we could, if we chose between a, the only quote unquote, like big words in it are the big words that we had to like define because it's technically the only word to describe what we are trying to do. Right. Like mentioning like mechanotransduction, transduction. Like we had to do that because it's like, okay, well, this is a proxy. So that leads down the line to other things, right? This is a, this is a a, sort of a metric of, of tension, muscular tension. So in the, or what leads us down the line from muscular tension. Right. And so in chapter one in physiology, it was like, how can we take these complex topics and make them easy to understand? And it was really challenging to do. And. But I also had a level of experience doing that through years and years of social media content and years of writing articles and stuff like that. And so they random They were randomly searching for people and they, I guess they found, they still had sort of a short list of people and through a couple of different articles and features and, and things like that on different websites, they landed on me and they reached out and. I thought it was a joke for the, the longest time. I asked my wife, I was like, do you think this is like, this is, do you think this is like a joke or for real? Or because I was, I was, I was on a plane going, so this was back in December of 2019 when I first got this email to kind of like date the per, sort of like the history of the book and how long it's taken to, from inception to, to I, from idea to concept to publish uh published book. Uh, so it, started, it all started kind of that communication of December of 2019. And I was on a plane flying back home to see my family. And I was checking my email just to be sure there was, wasn't was something I missed because I was going to kind of shut, shut off for the next couple of weeks. And I refreshed my email and it basically just said, book proposal, science of strength training. And I was like, this has got to be a joke. You know, because like I... I receive a lot of sort of unsolicited influencer, like type stuff, right. Through email. And it's like, Hey, what a great opportunity we have for you. And it's like, delete, 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 delete. You know, I just, I don't read most of it and think, you know, I'm thinking whoever I need to thank for the fact that they put a subject line that caught my attention enough. So I didn't delete it. You know, I can't imagine, you know, in terms of like, career capital. If I would have passed up an opportunity like this, I, I think I would have
0: truly kicked myself for the rest of my life. Something embedded there too, that's worth pointing out. Um, I don't know if you've read any of Cal Newport stuff, um, mm-hmm. book, like, uh, I have, yeah world without email and it might be the world without email might be, might be deep work. Uh, sorry. I, I think I said, book yourself solid. That's Michael Port deep work. Um, so he mentions how, you're not under any obligation to respond to anything that doesn't really grab your attention. Now, I think if I if you get a, an authentic inquiry on social media, I always try to send a very authentic response back, but yeah. DMs are full of bullshit, like absolute bots, whatever. I don't even worry about that stuff. And yeah, emails. And the closest thing I have to that is not on the same scale, but, you know, you get this email, it's like, What is this crap some influencer shit oh you want to be an affiliate marketer for like some shit that no fuck off but then i get an email from generation iron one of the publications i write for that you mentioned and it's one of their one of their like directors and this is serious shit i'm like okay well let's let's talk to these guys you know these guys make these bodybuilding movies and so that ultimately did turn into an ongoing writing relationship with them so it's not a book but it's the same sort of thing but for the coaches, you guys are going to get some fluffy nonsense. Ignore it. It's nonsense. But if you keep head down and creating and putting stuff out there, getting yourself out into the, I think in terms of like social media and brand, and I think in terms of career capital, like tangible pieces that you know add credibility. And if you accumulate these things, sooner or later, some interesting shit's going to come your way. Yeah.
1: And it's opportunity through serendipity. Like it's an opportunity through putting yourself out there, you know, and it's, this came about and I was sort of seeked out in that way because I'd put myself out there year after year after year with every piece of content I've ever created, right? Every piece of content that I hit publish on and edited and took take number six, you know, just to make it, or that could have been better, right? You never know who's watching. You never know who's going to read your article. You never know who is going to watch your video and again, I I never imagined that this opportunity would have, you know, almost knocked on my front door and said, Hey man, we know you're somewhat interested in fitness. Would you like to write what could be a a cornerstone book of, of the strength training space? And it's like, "Mm, you know, let me think about it. Um, yeah you know i'd love to thanks so much you know and it's just it's wild and it never in my wildest dreams did i think that this would really come about but um you know it was a challenge that it was the challenge i didn't know i needed at the time and you know i, I felt like i was like kind of treading water um and it's sort of that moment where you're like oh, I've just been, i just think feel like i've been doing nothing but creating for so long and it's like it's sort of that level of like creation vulnerability where it's just like create for the sake of creating without any expectation, any expectation of return. You don't deserve anything. You're not entitled to anything. You just need to create and something if you're worth investing in, and if you have something to say, that's original, but also helpful in relation to content also being discussed, you'll get an opportunity for your voice to be heard a little bit
0: louder did you read seth godin's the practice not yet okay because you pretty much paraphrased one of the most critical points it's create with the without any expectation of anything you know in return it's just that adding up over time he's talking about the process of creating so a lot of what you just said you read that book and be like this aligns with my philosophies really easy so i actually think anybody who's trying to get themselves out there needs to read this book i like seth godin a lot oh fuck he's fantastic he's he's, he's essential reading on my list. And unlike most of the other authors, you can actually follow his social media. There's a lot of authors. Yeah, yeah. You learn this lesson, <clears throat> stay the fuck out of their social media. I recently unfollowed Nassim Taleb, who's writing I love because the guy is a pompous ass. He's an obnoxious <laughs> ass. He's awful to the way, the way he responds to people. And he's got some weirdly anti-scientific beliefs, but his books, Anti-Fragile is brilliant. Everybody should read it. His other stuff's phenomenal, Black Swan. But you get to this point, and I feel the same way about a lot of like celebrities, musicians, I mean, you're listening to rage against a machine and you're surprised they have political views. There's something like, what's the, what's the joke is like, what machine do you think they were raging against? The toaster, a microwave, yeah. right? The fax machine. Yeah. Um, but by and large, especially when it comes to, you know, books and whatever, you know, I, I tend, ever read anything by like the Dilbert author, uh, Scott Adams? You know, oh, people have so. different, like, just Dilbert, right? People have different belief systems, but the guy's hardcore Republican Trump supporter. Now, that's very offensive to some people and aligns with other. I'm not even getting into that stuff, but, you know, maybe just go enjoy Dilbert comics without diving into the political stuff. Um, now, a quick pivot with the last thing I was curious about I also noticed with your media, we alluded to this a little bit earlier, you certainly got the the bigger following, you're over 100,000 followers, and and now I understand kind of where that came from, and you have your company, Physique Development, and and I'm always fascinated with people, I'll give some examples, who, they balance both a personal brand identity, but also have a business entity, and they're not, for some people, I'll, I'll use Lane Norton, for example, Lane, BioLane. It is very much one entity, absolutely. But then you've got Mike Isertel and Renaissance Periodization. He's one of my favorites where RP is this massive entity, but Mike is also you know something really massive. Sam Spinelli has E3 Rehab and Citizen Athletic. And I just had Quinn Hennick on here. He's great. And he's got uh, clinic, the clinical athlete. So there's tons yeah. of examples of people who have, they're usually founders or co-founders more often of some company, but then they also have a very high profile you know, brand of their own. Is is there anything to that balance for you? Do you find it's kind of natural that, you know, the business goes one way and it draws in a certain type of person, whereas you wrote this book, not as that owner of that business, you wrote that book as Austin current.
1: Right. That's a good question. And I have to definitely give credit. Um, where credits do. And and I think the better and more you surround yourself with, with really good people who compliment you, that allows things to, to nurture and grow in different directions. Right. And I have, I have ideas that I really pursue and I I really take, you know, and just run with, which is, you know, the reason my social media gained the traction it did when it did. And i sort of hung on by a single thread ever since. And, I just kind of make what I can out of it now, and it has helped in a lot of ways, right? And it's given me a platform, it's given me a voice, it's given me opportunities that probably otherwise wouldn't have come up um, as organically. But as far as the personal brand and the, and the business entity, you know, it, it kind of all started with the. It kind of all started with the business as the main goal, and the thing about business is. It sort of just starts to take shape. It's sort it, of it sort of starts to tell its own story and you start to attract a certain, let's say, customer or uh, consumer of your content. And the more physique development grew and the more we added on to it. Um, you know, so there's three owners now, and there is a I think I, here in the next month or so, there'll be eight total coaches. So there's 11 people not counting assistants and, and other people within the company. And again, like it just keeps growing and organically taking the route that it, it's sort of wants to take, right. It's sort of like water. It's going to find the path of least resistance and carve its own path. And I think that's, you have to, <clears throat> you have to allow your business to sort of do that. Right. And you hope, you hope you know, that it takes shape that you enjoy and you you, you can pour into and continue to, to be a part of and play an integral role within. But also with the personal brand, it allowed, I think those two things aligned well enough to where the personal brand fed into the business. And there are things that I do more and more that don't necessarily align perfectly with physique development, but I still want to do them or pursue them. Right. And so like the book, for example, you know, the book wasn't physique development that was kind of Austin current. Right. And I think as a coach, as someone who, you know, and again, like my wife has been lobbying for me to, you know, she, again, it goes back to who's around, who you're surrounded by and people who want to see you succeed and, and who see the value and, and sort of land grabs, right? And so we live in a culture and we live in a world where personal brand is very important, right? So whatever happens within, right, you could own a crazy successful company while simultaneously having very successful personal brand, right? We see it all the time. You just mentioned Israel, right? I think on a grander
0: scale, Elon Musk is a very super. Look at that. Yeah. Look at him. Yeah. Right. Whereas some of these other major tech companies well steve jobs certainly was a larger than life figure perhaps you know posthumously i know he was certainly a big deal when he was alive but there are several other major tech companies where we know very little about uh what is it uh page and brin the google founders Mm, yeah i don't know anything about (laughs) it yeah oh okay cool right so but (laughs) i hijacked your example oh no you're fine um So,
1: I mean, you can have one without the other, or you could have both, right? And there wasn't, there hasn't really been a time where I've had to necessarily choose one or the other, which I think has been very helpful and it's sort of allowed it to stay natural and organic. And there are things where, again, there's channels or there's topics that feed really well into physique development. There's channels and topics that feed really well into my own personal brand. And the fact that, you know, things like the book come up or things like educational, putting on seminars or co-hosting seminars or being a speaker at a seminar, right? You as an individual, you as someone who, you know, I'm someone who very much enjoys doing those things. It's been a big part of my career and I hope it continues to be. And that's not something that is usually ran through physique development, right? That's ran through me, right? And so it's important that, you know, I own the domain coachaustincurrent.com, right? It's a standalone domain. It's a standalone page that I put a lot of effort into. So where if you Google my name, you'll see my book, you'll see coachaustincurrent.com. You'll see things where if people, if someone's looking for something or someone Googles my name from a professional sense, they're not going to have to search very hard to find a very polished resume almost handed directly to them through the screen. like. Mm-hmm. Oh, Hey, were you interested in asking me something? Here's my web page. That's polished. It looks beautiful. It shows all my features. It shows, it tells you about me. It tells you where to find all my other content. It tells you what businesses I own. It tells you what projects I've worked on and published. It tells you everything. Right. And it, you know, to the trainers listening, it's important that you allow yourself to be seen if you're seeking out opportunity, Right. And it sort of goes back to if you d- never tell anyone you're a coach or a trainer, how are they supposed to know? Are they just supposed to look at you and just say, like, oh, I bet you take on clients. Could I be your client? When has that ever happened? <laughs> like, other than you being a jacked person, right? Someone probably walked up to you and be like, hey man, you're probably a trainer, right? You know, you taking on any clients, like as a joke. But realistically, you got to sort of put yourself out there, right? You got to get reps and Again, it, it, opportunity comes through putting yourself out there. And establish, it's never been a bad, this is not a bad time to establish a personal brand. Um, and there's nothing wrong with having a personal brand or, and a business. And there's nothing wrong with not having a personal brand at all and solely working within a company. Neither are wrong or not, one isn't better than the other. And I think you sort of feel it out. What do you enjoy most? Right, I really enjoy physique development. I really enjoy being a part of the team there, um, and playing a playing my role within that team. But I also really like the projects I work on under my own umbrella, under CoachAustinCurrent.com. Right, through my own personal brand, that I've had a lot of opportunity to to do things, which I've found to be really rewarding and fulfilling. Um, which I think then feed back into physique development. Right, and it's they sort of feed each other, and it's been fun so far. So.
0: You know, I haven't sort of, I haven't fought it up to this point. You said something that I've talked about numerous times in the past on the podcast with various uh, guests. There are people who are very good or have the desire to step out and create a personal brand identity. I certainly fit that category, but there are going to be coaches passionate about the coaching who don't really gravitate towards the personal brand side or would rather not do it at all. They love the idea of coaching. They would be happy not actually marketing. And it's companies like yours. Um, I spoke at a, a conference in Spokane and a lot of the Macros Inc. coaches were there. Yeah. So my buddy Brad Peter is one of the uh, co owners of that. Brad was a speaker there as well. And they do a wonderful job of brand. Uh, Mike Dole is stronger. You have talked with Mike about yeah. it a of times. He's a good friend. Uh, RP, certainly, you know, they have coaches under their umbrella and they they seem to foster. Their coaches to have more individual brand identities, but it's you don't really have to under RP, and and you go through the or the, there's lots of professionals who have coaches under them. So he Lee has her, she has a small team of coaches, and it takes the pressure off. So it's perfectly okay to go that route. I like and value, and I have to remember that I have a bias toward having a personal brand, and what people will notice is. Certainly, the guests on this podcast, a lot of my friends, are people who are more well-known personal brand types. If that makes sense, yeah. right? But appearing on podcasts as a guest is not the be-all end all of everything. It's actually funny. I do get you. You will get people who like, "Hey, man, you know, I've got a great story. I'd love to come on your podcast." It's like that's not kind of how it works, you know? Yeah, yeah, so, right. Like um, they, and and it's not to disparage that, but I think people think that okay, I appear on you know, a, a big circulated podcast. And that's going to establish me that I'm, that I'm going to be, be known. And I'm in the industry that it doesn't happen like that. That's like wanting your social media to go viral I I know there's a book. Oh, it's a uh, social media success for every brand. Uh, Carol, Claire Ortiz, Claire Diaz Ortiz. And she used this example about how there are literally companies that their, their whole social media strategy is to get Elon Musk or someone else famous to tweet them, to retweet them so they can go viral. That's completely the wrong approach. It's got to be building what we've talked about the career capital, the article writing. It's that stuff time and time and time and time again. You build up this entire library. And then that's when someone reaches out and asks you to to, uh, write a book for them. Like it's happened to you, like it's happened to Jason Brown, one of the teenage guys, Gareth Sapstead just released a book. Same thing. Yeah. Yeah. So this stuff. I got it right here. Oh sweet, yeah. He we're talking. He's gonna, he's gonna get his hands on a copy and send it to me if he can. So I'm like, all right, cool. You know, I like signed shit, right? Um, I'll happily buy it because I know it's gonna be amazing. Yeah, but uh, you know, if you are serious about going down this road, you do have to put in a lot of work. And like you said, you have to create without the expectation of specific reward for each individual article you publish, every podcast episode this is number 200 in the history of this you know there have been some really big episodes that have done really really well but it's the cumulative effect of doing it week in week out that has led to a lot of the stuff that's that's happened <clears throat> i wasn't able to get john sorry my voice <clears throat> I wasn't able to get john berardi to come on here as an unknown podcast out of the blue it took building a relationship with pn which they initiated had several of their people on, including Krista Scott Dixon and Brian St. Pierre. Those two are two of the biggest architects of their brand. Yeah. Where John, who is very picky about ever doing this stuff, heard good things and said, okay, I'll come on. Because I'd fed through the loop that I knew a lot about John and his history. Yeah. So, it's very important. we people get that from
1: our conversation. Yeah. yeah. That's incredibly important. And, I think to, to create without any expectation of return, but also to create, to, to actually earn it, man. Like there's something to earning what you get from the hard work you're putting in, right? There was something to, right? There's a level of sort of disbelief of getting to write the book and to work on a project like that and to publish it and and to see that it's been, out there and circulating and helpful and and people are really getting value from it, which honestly brings a smile to my face daily. I'm just like, man, that's awesome. Um, But there was a level of like, when I got the opportunity, it wasn't that I was like, oh, finally, someone's recognizing me, right? It wasn't that at all. It was the fact of like, I'm nervous to do this, but I feel like I'm actually ready and able to do it because I've put in the hours, I've put in the years and years of education, and I've put in the work to actually earn the right to be in a position to work on something like this, not to deserve it, to work on something like it, right? And I think that's an important distinction, right? Don't work on things, don't produce things to deserve something in the future, work on something to earn the right to be in the conversation, to work on it, right? So, earn the right to be in a conversation like this, earn the right to be in a group of people at a seminar that you go to in the future, right? There's a level, not that you, you know, that you have to like be someone to talk to people, but like, and I don't think that should be in your head at all, but I think there's a level of, and that's not what I'm saying, but there's a level of earning, the, earning your place in somewhere because of your hard work, because of your original voice, because you've put yourself out there time and time again knowing that at any point and almost at every point on social media someone's going to jab right you're just going to get continuous jabs you're gonna get people who are like man this was super helpful then you're gonna get people who literally shoot down all aspirations of creating ever again right but it's not about them it's not about it's just about creating for the sake of creating creating for the sake of actually helping people and earning your position because i can tell you if you want to feel like a fraud and feel like an imposter, arrive at an opportunity that you aren't ready for and that you didn't earn. And boy, you just signed your ticket on a one way ship to, I don't know what the hell is going on and I feel like a fraud. Right. And that is a terrible, that'd be a terrible place to be. Right. And so, There's just something to earning something and there's something to, to putting in the work. And, you know, in the, again, within social media, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm younger than you are, but I'm, I'm still a part of the generation that mainly grew up most of my life without technology, without social media, without smartphones. And the only thing I ever know. And, and a lot of my, you know, one of my biggest mentors is my grandfather, who was a lifetime football coach, college football coach. Um, And I was around career guys like that growing up. And what I was repeatedly told is phrases like, who are you when no one's looking, right? How much work are you willing to put in that no one's gonna see, right? And how long are you willing to put that in before you give up and quit, right? And so like those phrases are constantly in my mind and in a world where we have instantaneous feedback on our, our value and our validation with, within our position, within our given industry or space, it's really hard to value the delayed gratification. It's really hard to value the time in, within the equation of you know, time and effort over, over a given period, right? Um, and so, I really think it's important to to put in that to put in that work and, and to to value that sense of earning the right to be there. Earn your seat at the table. and again, you're gonna be so grateful that you did. And I'm still trying to do it. Like I'm still trying to show up and earn my right at the table I'm seated at, right? And that that, that table changes you level up, you, you know, you, you move to an adjacent table, right. You, and it, there's so many, there's so many metaphors and and things you can compare it to, but I think it's important to, to earn it right. And, and to put in the work and, and to know that when you get there, it was because of the work you did, not because
0: of something else. Something I'll leave off with this in my presentation, I recently did. I remember feeling like there was two different sort of categories or tiers of people in the industry. There were all these people who were writing for T Nation and appearing on the big podcasts of the day, and then the rest of us on the gym floor. So I didn't know there was a path or see there was a possible to get a seat at that table that you're talking about. I know what you mean because I keep getting invitations to that table, I keep sitting down at that table in various different realms. I write for publications that I thought, oh, that would be super cool, but I could never actually imagine ever doing it. Yeah. So there is a path. And i am actually trying on my social media and through my writing to show people here's the route to take. And it's a lot of the same things you just talked about. There's a lot of work that goes into it. So if anybody has any further questions, I please DM me. But we got to get you following Austin and check out his books. So tell them where to find you. Yeah. So I hang out on Instagram, similar to Andrew.
1: So Austin current on Instagram. So just search Austin. It'll be a bearded fella. He'll show up and click on that profile. And my book science of strength training, you can find it uh, on Amazon and that's the easiest place to find it. Um, But it is sold. I know across the U S at least it's sold at uh, Sam's target costco walmart all of those places barnes and noble uh those type of places so if you're in person and you want to go on a scavenger hunt go for it um but if you just kind of want a easy way easy access to it and you'll probably get it before you even click order just do it on amazon and they'll,
0: they'll get it to you i got mine really fast i did the amazon route yeah. and up here in canada <laughs> we've got indigo, Chat, indigo chapters and i i discovered okay. that indigo in the u.s is like a medical a series of medical like centers, and here <clears> in Canada, it's a bookstore, so don't get confused. Um, so anyway, I appreciate everybody tuning in. Austin, it's great to have you on. That's something that we, we chatted about before, but we got to chat about off air, and uh, for anybody listening, again, shoot me a message. If you're not fi- following my social media, I want to connect with you guys, Andrew Coates Fitness uh, on Instagram. That's my hub for everything. And if you are finding this through Austin's media and hearing my podcast for the first time, then take a scroll through my previous guests, especially the last 50, and you're going to find Mike Isertel and Sam Spinelli and Quinn Hannock and a lot of other writers and educators and authors in the fitness space who you may be following and may be interested. So I hope it'll be at least worth checking out a few more episodes and maybe I'll earn your subscribe and ongoing patronage. Thank you so much, Austin, thank you. And uh, we'll work on another guest for next week.